Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Okie hangover. Ricky, no Andrew tonight, but we have a lot of recruiting to talk about. Yeah, we do. And first and foremost, I'm glad that Andrew's fine after the storms in Blacksburg that happened on, like, see, today's, so that would have been Wednesday. Um, that, that stuff was pretty crazy. I know they had a tornado warning. And so for everyone that's in the, the NRV, I hope y'all are safe. Hope you didn't have any issues. Andrew's uh, internet is down. That's the reason that he's not able to to join us this evening yeah so his internet's out because of those storms uh but he'll be back next week um we've been doing pretty well we've had the three of us on the pod now for yeah. about a month how are you here, how are you enjoying working from home it, it looks like you're 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 taking the casual friday to a to a new a new level there <laughs> uh, yeah so i i haven't shaved i did shower this morning so that that's was, that's a that plus was that's a plus i did that we all um, need haircuts <laughs> yeah, I I need a haircut pretty desperately <laughs> at this point, and uh, there's no end in sight with that either. So um, yeah, I know, right? I mean, yeah. in in Virginia, we're all I mean, stuff's locked down through June 10. I pray to God that gets rescinded because that seems like it's a a bit lengthy. But um, yeah, man, it's it's weird. I mean, I'm I'm considered an essential employee at at the bank that I work at, so um we are still still grinding away at the uh, at the office so it's april 9th you guys will hear this on april 10th it'll be friday april 10th when you listen to this so happy friday everybody <laughs> but my I, so i got my hair cut about 2 weeks before we all went under quarantine and that seemed like good timing just with everything else going on i was like okay i'll i'll be good for without a haircut for a while yeah little did i know that we would be locked inside until essentially locked inside without with the exception of going to a grocery store till june 10th in the state of virginia um where you and i are both residents like you mentioned so that's a little bit problematic for the haircut game so yeah i I need a haircut now on april 9th um imagine what this is going to be two months from now that's going to be a little bit imagine people that got their last haircut in like february and, Good night. And they, and they couldn't they couldn't get to the barber before then. Like, sorry, dude, you're you're SOL, man. Yeah, you see, you're seeing all these people on social media like cutting their own hair, and <laughs> some people are doing it for like charity and stuff like that. They're like, I'll raise money if I record this and I get like a hundred viewers or whatever. See, and... if I if I was at my dad's, my dad could shave my head because I, I get a buzz cut usually anyway. Yep. So he could he could do that because he's done it before. Um, but I'm not doing it to myself. Absolutely not. Yeah, and I'm not going to try either. Uh, all right, cool. So, uh, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. So, Virginia Tech. Making good news. A, good news first, yeah, right? Good news. Yeah, let's start with the good news. So, 
Uh, since we last recorded, Virginia Tech was able to land the commitment of four-star wide receiver Latrell Neville out of Texas. Uh, Virginia Tech obviously was looking for another four-star for this 2021 class, right? They had Demetrius Davis, who committed a while back now, and Virginia Tech was really looking for traction. We talked on the last podcast about the Hokies' struggles in state, and we'll continue talking about that here shortly. Uh, but the one thing that Virginia Tech needed uh, with this recruiting class was some sort of positive momentum. Um, yep. We talked about in the last podcast how Virginia Tech, at the time, they were the 30th ranked class after the commitment of Will Johnson, the linebacker, out of uh, only Maryland. Uh, now they have him in the mix, and they were able to secure the commitment of Latrell Neville a few days later, a uh, four-star wide receiver out of Texas. So, Ricky, let's get your immediate thoughts about Neville's commitment. Obviously, this leads to potential opportunity to open up a bit of a pipeline in Texas now with uh, two more Texas guys here on the roster uh, for the class of 2020 with Neville and Demetrius Davis. Yeah, I mean, it's let's start with the basic. I mean, it's obviously a positive that they got this kid. Um, like you mentioned, they, they seem to be establishing quite the presence in Texas. It's not quite a pipeline yet, as you mentioned, but they're they're showing that they can consistently recruit in that area. And given the staff's um, experience in, in that region, it, it, they should have been doing this before. I'm glad that they're doing it now. Um, Neville is a, a, a bit of a lower end four star kid. So he's not like a, a on the, if we're going off the numerical scale based upon two, four, seven, he's an 89, which is on the low end. But as I tweeted out, um, if you look at his offer list, it's pretty damn impressive. The kid, it's good. Yeah. Now you, you always have to figure how many of those are quote unquote committable. That, that, that's a fool's errand. You'll never know w- which of those are really committable or not. So just take it for what it is. Um, I like to kind of put their their recruit rating and their offer list together and come up with my own assumption and. So for me, he's pro- he's basically a mid-end four-star prospect, which is pretty damn good. I mean, that's that's a plus for Virginia Tech. There's no no two ways around that. Um, so it's definitely a positive. I do think that there have been some people that have rushed to call this Texas to VT thing more than what it is. I mean, it's an encouraging sign, and things are moving in a good direction, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and I don't think that the, the, the success that they've had in Texas overshadows some problems that they've had elsewhere. Uh, so you have to take the good with the bad. And I think that that's something that a lot of people aren't really doing. Um, you, you have to give the staff credit where credit's due and they deserve credit for this. They went and got this kid. They beat out a ton of good programs. I mean, Go and look at his offer list, people, if you haven't. I mean, he has offers from Alabama. He's got offers from basically every SEC school you can think of. I mean, he's got offers from Michigan, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Oregon, the whole the whole nine yards. Uh, I, so he, he's, he's clearly a talented player. Um, he's got good size. That's another thing I thought was interesting that Tech has really started to recruit bigger players at receiver. Uh, if you exclude Tavion Robinson in 2019, they've really gone with these these taller, lankier guys. Um, kind of think of a Trey Turner type build. So uh, I, I think it's a good pickup. Obviously, um, he who knows without offer list, he could get a, a jump in the recruiting rankings. Um, hopefully, he'll be able to play his senior year of football. Um, and um, 
you know, it'll be, it, it, it'll be definitely a plus for tech moving forward. And if they're able to parlay this into two or three more commitments, I mean, it's certainly an even bigger positive. Yeah, so I think you hit the nail on the head with how um, how important it is that Virginia Tech was obviously able to nab a guy like Latrell Neville. Um, the momentum thing is is really important, right? Because there are a couple guys in Texas that Virginia Tech has been after for a while. Latrell Neville was one of them. Landon Watson, defensive end, was another one. Um, Landon Watson, for what it's worth, a couple more crystal balls in for him. And there are some guys at 24-7 that expect Landon Watson to eventually land with the Hokies. Now, with that being said, Landon Watson did tweet out last weekend that he wanted to take as many visits as he could uh, once this coronavirus thing passes. So it could be a little while before we hear anything about his commitment. But it seems like Virginia Tech may be in a strong position with him, at least at the outset. And who knows? I mean, you start getting these guys um, in the state of Texas that if they don't know one another, I mean, Texas is a huge state, but if they don't know one another, they at least acknowledge the talent across yeah. the state or across the city, wherever they're located. Landon Watson is a guy who's been in contact with Demetrius Davis. He's been in contact with Latrell Neville. That's been clear on social media that they've all been talking. How serious is it? Who really knows? All these guys love playing the social media game at the end of the day. But I do think it is a positive that Virginia Tech was able to secure Latrell Neville without him ever visiting campus in Plattsburgh. That's pretty significant. Um, just given the environment we're in that Virginia Tech was still able to land a guy out yeah. of state who had never been to campus before. Yeah, and, and the other thing too, even if it doesn't parlay into another two or three commitments, it's still a good thing. I mean, getting getting a four-star prospect on your roster is never a bad thing. Uh, obviously, you have to develop that guy and get him ready to play football, but you have to stuff as much talent in the pipeline as possible. And... Neville certainly seems like a talented player, so uh, he he's not the kind of guy that that changes the landscape. Um, there are only a few of those guys every year that that are like that, but that doesn't mean that you can't credit the staff for where they where they should be credited. Um, Tech has improved their success in the in the Midwest area, specifically in Texas. They have a lot of connections on staff there. Um, so it's it's a positive moving forward, and you, you know if you're a tech fan, you have to hope that that this turns into a couple more commitments, and that you really do start to build somewhat of a pipeline to to the um, to the Lone Star State. Yeah, uh, they held a press conference yesterday. The coaching staff with Babcock, um, Justin Fuente spoke. You know, just more about the coronavirus and how, you know, the yeah. school's been adjusting, the program's been adjusting. I thought that was a really good move by the athletic department. You're seeing several schools doing that right now for for better or worse. Coaches are talking about the coronavirus. <laughs> it's been a little bit all over the map when you have football coaches yeah. talking about a national crisis. Um, the only thing I'll head, say, the only thing I'll say yeah. with that is real quick is if you're looking to football coaches for for nuanced takes on public health crises, I don't know what to tell you, man. Football coaches are going to say stuff you don't like. It's just what yeah. it is. Yeah, that's that's your Let own fault if you're looking. Yeah, that's your own fault Let if you're looking go, to them for for help. Uh, yeah. during a public health crisis, <laughs> they're coaching ball guys. Yeah, <laughs> like a lot, that's, a lot that's, that's what they're paid to do. They're paid to recruit and they're paid to coach. Yeah. So um, anyway, so Justin Fuente basically stood, you know, steered clear of a lot of the the national questions about you know what you know what football is going to look like this yeah. fall and as he uh, should. 
Yes, as he should. What Babcock basically said, you know, it'd be tough to play without the fans. We just want everybody to come back when it's safe, which I think is the right answer. Anything beyond that, I think, is total guesswork at this point, and in some cases has just led to some very interesting sound bites. The one thing I will mention about this press conference, though, is that, you know, Justin Fuente was asked about Virginia Tech's efforts in landing some of their commitments to the 2021 class. And there was a question that came up specifically about Latrell Neville and Texas and being able to recruit down there and the early success that Virginia Tech has had with 2021 to kind of parlay some of the success they had in the 2020 recruiting class. Because as bad as the 2020 recruiting class was, um, one of the strong points of that class and one of the things you can look back on is that they were able to land uh, Wooten and Bryant, the two defensive ends out of Texas. And that was the one positive. It's like, okay, Virginia Tech is yeah. now kind of extending into a Lone Star State. The one interesting soundbite from Justin Fuente's press conference yesterday with the media was that he mentioned that one thing that he and the staff miscalculated when he first got to Blacksburg in his first few years that he wishes he could change was the influence that the coaching staff had in that area of the country. We're talking like Texas, Oklahoma, um, like the southwestern area of the United States, where Virginia Tech staff has a lot of experience, Justin Fuente felt that he and his staff underestimated the power of the connections that they had in that area of the country and their ability to bring those guys to Blacksburg, which I thought was a fair a, a fair thing to say. I was surprised that Virginia Tech hadn't done that more at the outset. Um, they tried to jump into recruiting in Virginia and tried to recruit Virginia well, didn't really do it, and, and still hasn't. They still haven't really done it outside of Devin Hunter um, to a really high level. They've had some success in North Carolina. The NC to VT movement was a thing a few years ago. North Carolina with Mac Brown has kind of squashed that entire thing. Yeah. But Virginia Tech has now moved into that Texas area, and I think it's clear that if not a pipeline, they want to at least establish some some sort of positive um, momentum there in that state, given the staff's ties there, given the fact that there is a wealth of talent there in Texas. I think that's important. I think that's good. I think it has the potential to offset some of the issues they've had in Virginia, but they got to get more than just one or two prospects out of Texas if you're going to offset all the losses in Virginia. Yeah, I don't like the idea of of making like one particular state that isn't your state, like the state you go to. I don't. I don't think that that's a good look, but I don't think that's really what tech's going for here. I think they're well, like, a, I mean, it's, and this is another thing that Justin said that was kind of misconstrued a bit before it was, you know, context was given. Justin said, you know, it, it was, it's easier to recruit out of state players than it used to be. And that's not what was initially reported where people just thought Justin was saying it's easy to recruit out of state players as opposed to in-state players. That's not what Justin said. What Justin meant is, is that because of technology and, and the modern world now, just because you have a guy that lives two states away, it's a lot easier for him to make that jump and then be able to still come home and visit uh, and, and see family and friends and all of the things like that. So it's a lot easier to recruit out of state now. And that's a trend that we've noticed really over the last, what, eight to 10 years in the college football landscape where more kids are going out of state than ever before. So you have to be able to compete in these states that have a plethora of talented players. These states are like Florida, Georgia, Texas, um, Ohio. These are states that have a ton of talent. If you're on the West Coast, California is obviously the state that you need to be able to be competitive in. Um, 
So Virginia Tech is is expanding their recruiting net as they should. Every single program in the country has expanded their recruiting net. If all of these top programs, they're recruiting nationally. They're not recruiting locally. I mean, you obviously still recruit guys in your backyard, but you're not limiting yourself to guys in your backyard. And it would be it would it would be foolish for them to do that. So I'm glad that that they're doing it now. And again, I think it is a fair point that hey, I don't know why Tech wasn't doing this sooner. I, I feel like it's something that you know Justin, like you said, admitted basically that they they underestimated what they could do outside outside the the southeast and the east coast. Um, and it it probably cost Tech a little bit, but I guess it's better late than never. Yeah, and and the one thing that I've kind of come away with um, when you consider Virginia Tech's recruiting classes, let, let's call it like the last three to five years since Justin Fuente has been in the fold in Blacksburg, it, it felt like Virginia Tech never evolved their recruiting, right, and, until recently. And what I mean by that is Virginia Tech has always recruited the Tidewater area um, throughout the state of Virginia. That, that's been their bread and butter, as it should. You know, you, you should recruit your own state well. But it was really only like a handful of states that Virginia Tech kind of, you know, stuck their hand into the cookie jar in, right? It was, you know, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Florida, like Carolina. those areas of the yeah. country, Carolina, they, they always pulled, they didn't have the movement like they had a couple of years ago, usually, but they yeah. always pulled some guys out of Carolina. But it seems like a lot of other schools, while Virginia Tech was still kind of doing same old, same old, and I think this is a big reason why you've seen the changes you've seen on the coaching staff to get a bit younger, um, a bit more active on the recruiting trail maybe a bit of a different approach is because Virginia tech kind of stayed stagnant. Meanwhile, schools like uh, Clemson, Clemson's recruiting everywhere because of just what they're doing on the football field right now. But yeah, schools like Penn state, Penn state, for example, like Penn state's going into the state of Virginia. They're going into Florida. Uh, they're going into the Northeast. They're going into the Midwest. Like they expanded their reach in a way that Virginia tech didn't. And so when people complain about guys like Ricky Slade and Devin Ford, not coming to Virginia tech, Yes, that's an indictment of Virginia Tech from a coaching staff not being able to pull those guys in. It's also an indictment on the coaching staff in another way where they're not really evolving the way they recruit, right? So you're not offsetting those misses in state anymore. Penn State comes in, they take your guys out of state that you were favored to get. That's a problem on one layer, but a whole entire second layer to this is that Virginia Tech was not going other places in the country and offsetting the recruiting losses in state. The thing I think they're doing now in Texas, and we'll talk about Tony Grimes here in a second. The one thing I think they're doing now, or at least trying to do is expand that reach, expand the net, like you mentioned, so that if they do miss on a guy in state, Oh, we got another four star here in Texas and Latrell Neville that we can offset that loss with, because you're not going to get every single guy. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this goes back. This predates Justin Fuente. It does. Um, yep. Tech's recruiting efforts have always not maybe not always, but generally speaking, have been um, a, a, a bit old school. I mean, um, Jim Cavanaugh was an excellent recruiter for Frank Beamer, and without Jim Cavanaugh, I don't think Frank Beamer has as much success in the 2000s as he does, or as he did, excuse me. Um, but Tech, it, it always felt like Tech was just a bit behind the, the eight ball in, in their methods, particularly once Cavanaugh left. Because Kavanaugh, his his relationships in state were so pristine and so wide so wide ranging that he could go anywhere in the state and everybody knew who he was. He knew who they were, and they would be able to get him in front of who he needed to get in front of. Um, 
with all the turnover that we've seen on tech staff, especially this past off season, um, tech's, tech's ability to, to develop these relationships with players is going to have to have to happen fast because they're running out of time, at least in the fan base eyes. Um, there are a lot of people that want this thing to happen now. And to a certain extent, you know, Justin Fuente needs to show some immediate results. And um, so, I mean, it's, it, it's encouraging that they're, they're going into Texas now um, and, and trying to use that as, as a state that they can pull from. But as we, we can go ahead and, and transition into it now, as we've you know said before, that that can't be the thing that you put your hat on. You have to be able to 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 show in-state recruits, out-of-state recruits. Look, there were X players that we really wanted in our state, and we got a good amount of them. And that's something that Tech hasn't been able to do over the last two years. Right. It's not just like, oh, look, we got Devin Hunter a few years ago yeah. as a really high recruit, and awesome. Like we we got him. We got one guy a few years ago, or we got this other guy a few years ago, like. We got uh, Dylan Rivers, who was a who was a highly rated recruit. Yeah, um, Taiwan Garbutt, another Taiwan Garbutt. Like, we got just one player in this particular class, or or one really good player in this particular class out of Virginia. Like, there's got to be some traction where, okay, look, we got two or three of the top ten prospects in the state. We also got two or three really good, really really good prospects prospects in Texas who would be top ten recruits in Virginia. So all of a sudden, you got like four, four, four stars, five, four stars, six, four stars. Like you're starting to build that not only in state, but out of state. And Ricky, I want to circle back on a point you just made, because I think this transitions um, into Tony Grimes conversation that we're about to have. Um, Virginia Tech, they swing and miss this past week on Grimes, right? Grimes misses, uh, names his top seven. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar um, with Tony Grimes, he's a one of the best prospects in the country as a defensive yeah. back. Um, out of the state plays, of Virginia. Plays football just a few miles from my house. He's he's very yeah. He's from the seven five seven, real close to Ricky's neck of the woods, um, down there uh, in Newport News area. Uh, Tony Grimes, a five star recruit, the top cornerback in the country, a top ten prospect in the country, a five star guy. He names his top seven. Virginia Tech's not in it, so the fan base go the fan base goes insane. He's a top prospect in the state, one of the top prospects in the country. Virginia Tech's not in the mix. He had a really good relationship with one member of the staff. That guy was Zon Burden. Zon Burden's no longer on Justin Fuente's staff. Um, Virginia Tech, as a result, since Burden has been removed from this from Justin Fuente's staff, Virginia Tech has really had trouble getting the recruitment of Tony Grimes going. Um, they haven't been able uh, to really make any inroads, any progress, any traction on his recruitment. As a result, he names a top seven that includes the University of Virginia, does not include Virginia Tech, that rubbed a lot of Virginia Tech fans the wrong way, um, that they weren't included in that top seven. And the one in-state school that was, was the bitter rival of Virginia Tech, UVA. Yeah. So the Hokies miss on Grimes, but I think it, and, and to tie back to what you were just talking about, Ricky, it goes back to a conversation about the coaching staff and relationships and what the coaching staff has failed to do in-state now for a number of years. Yeah, and I... I, I specifically speaking on Grimes, I understand that, that he was supposedly quite close or his family and him were quite close with Zahn. And that's fine. I get that. But 
for a guy who's a five-star prospect, and look, Tony Grimes has been a guy that people people who follow recruiting have have heard his name for a few years now. He's one of those kids that you hear about when he's a freshman, and people tell you, hey, this kid's got a chance to be really good, and guess what? Turns out to be a really good prospect. Uh, so Tech's been on this guy for a while. Tech was probably one of the first schools to see him. You figure, I mean, he, he comes from Princess Anne in Virginia Beach. Princess Anne hasn't turned out a lot of good talent in recent years. Daryl Jones, a couple years ago, I think in 2017, is the last guy I can think of for Princess Anne that really had any sort of acclaim as a recruit. The football program doesn't hasn't won a lot of games until the last couple years. So it's not like Princess Anne is a is a, a powerhouse of high school talent. So it's not like a lot of these out-of-state schools were coming to, to Princess Sand and seeing Tony Grimes up front early on. I can guarantee you Virginia Tech saw Tony Grimes up front early on. Um, when you have a kid that's this level of prospect, it's it's important for, for all the coaches on the coaching staff, not just his position recruiter or his area recruiter, to develop a relationship with that recruit. Um, to me, just because you lose an assistant and you lose someone's primary recruiter, that shouldn't immediately knock you out. The fact that it did tells me that Justin Fuente, maybe Brad Cornelson, um, Justin Hamilton, these guys never really connected with Tony Grimes. I don't know why, how, or or what, but that's just what I get from it, and that's that's discouraging. It's discouraging, and I... I don't want to harp too much just on Tony Grimes because because Tony yeah, Grimes, he's he, he's a data point. He's not right. He's not the main event. He's a data point, and this is what I said on to somebody earlier on Twitter. He's a new data point in a set of data points that have been accumulating for a couple years now. So, to add on to what you just said, Virginia Tech. You think, okay, so let, let's back up a step. Tony Grimes is one of the top recruits in the country, five-star. Virginia Tech just missed on Travion Henderson, another five-star running back, goes to Ohio State, out of state. Um, doesn't stick around in the state of Virginia. That's that's fine. It kind of is what it is at this point. I look at the, um, I look at some of the past recruiting classes, Ricky. I look at some of the top prospects, and I'm not talking just the state of Virginia. I'm talking nationally, some of the top prospects. Um, dating back to 2018. I mean, the schools in those top fives, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, like those are the schools who are consistently getting the top five or six kids in the country. Tony Grimes is ranked seventh nationally this year in the 2021 recruiting class. So the fact that Virginia Tech missed on Grimes itself, himself with a five-star rating is not a surprise. Those kids are going to a certain type of elite school right now. And there's only about four or five of them that's recruiting this type of prospect at a really high level with that being said like you mentioned there is there's just another data point to point at right Virginia Tech misses on Henderson they miss on Grimes two five-star prospects go to Ohio State and Tony Grimes is a guy who could easily end up at Georgia that's where the majority of the crystal ball predictions have him going Um, he's had ties there for a while would not be surprised if he ends up there but there's a long way to go in his recruitment Point being, Virginia Tech has missed on guys in the past. We're talking like Josh Sweat, who's that was part of the Beamer era. Derek Nottie. Derek Nottie, Josh Sweat, they both go to Florida State. You talk about other players within the state of Virginia. We talked about Devin Ford. He was one of the higher rated recruits 
um, in a class a couple of years ago. Taraji Mitchell. Yep. Um, you talk about Ricky Slade, like top four star guys, Deshaun Hand. So we're talking about really good recruits that Virginia Tech has truly been in on that, that had they had more traction with in the past. They haven't hit on those guys either. So when people talk about Virginia Tech recruiting better in the state of Virginia, the issue that I have is that the coaching staff has been unable to build traction with forget about the five star guys, but some of the four star guys in the state yeah. since Justin Fuente has got here, with the exception of a guy like Devin Hunter. Virginia Tech hasn't really pulled in a really top-notch four-star guy. Um, they haven't pulled in a ton of mid-tier four-star guys from the state of Virginia. It's not the be-all, end-all by any stretch. If you're able to pull talent elsewhere, cast a wider net, and still be able to pull other guys in, it's not the be-all, end-all. But it points to the sustainability, right? Like Virginia Tech, clearly, being in the state of Virginia, there is an, an ability to recruit the state to be sustainable long-term, you have more of a comfort level in Virginia than you would elsewhere. I'm not completely sold that Virginia Tech's just going to go into Texas. They're going to get like 10 or 15 recruits from Texas yeah, every year. Now, not going to happen. Now, now we're, we're Texas East. Like that's not <laughs> going to happen. But if for, I, in a, in a perfect world, Virginia Tech can make some progress. And there's still some guys on the board here in the 2021 recruiting class, Ricky, that I think Virginia Tech has a decent shot at landing in the state of Virginia. The one Naquan Brown, who is a defensive end, who's one of the top-rated recruits in the state. He's a four-star defensive end. Um, the one thing that complicates that recruitment a little bit is the fact that his cousin is Javon Becton, who just got kicked off the team. So how does that sit with him? Does that have any impact on his recruitment? Who knows? Crystal Ball is in for him with Virginia Tech. So he's a guy who's very high on Virginia Tech's radar, obviously, and he seems to be high on them, at least from what everybody's been kind of hearing. So start pulling in guys like Naquan Brown. Start pulling in a couple guys a year out of the state in the top 10. Um, supplement that with a handful of three stars and then start casting that wide net like we talked about. Start start pulling out of Florida like you've done with Tyree Saunders in the 2020 class. Pull out of Texas like Virginia Tech has done with Wooten and Bryant and Latrell Neville and Demetrius Davis. Start casting that wide net and ideally in a perfect world, you're pulling in a handful of guys from Virginia, a handful of guys from Texas, a handful of guys from Florida. You're going up to Pennsylvania. You're stealing some of the guys that Penn State's been stealing from us for years. You know, you, you can start to grab some guys from not only your state, but the immediate area in the mid-Atlantic, the southeast, and, and then go into the state of Texas where you have some familiarity with Bo David, uh, Bo Davidson and um, James Shebest and Cornelson and Fuente. Like, play to your strengths for sure, but you've got to recruit the state better. Yeah, and so I, I want to go to something you you tweeted. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was today or yesterday, but you're talking about how people weren't really complaining about Justin Fuente's ability to recruit in state in 2016 when the team was winning. Part of the reason is because that year when he was recruiting the 2017 cycle, he actually did a decent job. He had three of the top ten that year. He had Devin Hunter, Dylan Rivers, and Taiwan Garbutt. He had um, Hezekiah Grimsley, who ended up 20th that year. He had Rayshard Ashby, who was 21st, and both of those guys were thought to be underrated recruits at the time. Um, that was really the peak of Justin Fuente's in-state recruiting efforts. And that Since, was his first true cycle. Yeah, right? I mean, exactly, He came in the yeah. middle of the 2016 and, and, cycle. And if you think about it, he only had a year with those guys. Nowadays, recruitments, yep. are take, re recruitments really start when guys are sophomores and sometimes freshmen. Um, and even earlier, depending on who you are. I mean, it, it's kind of ridiculous 
how early recruiting starts nowadays, but um, it, it's, it, it's, it's almost gotten progressively worse every single year. And it's created this set of data that I keep going back to that we can, we can go to all these different prospects, all these guys that are either high level four-star guys. You can even include some of the five-star guys, but even some of the lower four-star guys that Virginia tech just hasn't had success landing. And it's, it's a trend and it's becoming more of the trend than an outlier at this point. It's no longer an aberration that Virginia tech isn't recruiting in state very well. That's just a fact. And that's a problem. And it's going to cost this, this program because you, you like, like you said, you can't go to a state like Texas and pull 10, 15 guys when you're halfway across the country. You're only going to get a handful of those guys. And that's a good thing still because those handful of guys can be really good players. But you still have to build the backbone of your program on players that are relatively close by, meaning within like a two state radius. So guys from Carolina, guys from Maryland, guys from Pennsylvania, guys from Virginia, guys from South Carolina. This is something that Justin Fuente has done a decent job of is recruiting in states like that. But not recruiting in state, it's not only does it, it, it hurt missing out on elite talent in your backyard, but it also creates this perception that you're not really a part of the state because no one in the state wants to play at your school. Virginia Tech, they're in on a number of guys in the top 10, as you'd expect, uh, guys who have not yet committed. So we're talk, you know, we talked about Tony Grimes. He's not going to be coming to Virginia Tech. Tristan Lee is a five-star offensive tackle. A lot of people seem to think Virginia Tech has a chance there. I don't. Um, I don't think he's coming to Virginia Tech. But there are a couple of guys further down in, in the top 10 in the state of Virginia that I do think Virginia Tech can snag one, maybe two of these guys. Um, they're in heavy on Naquan Brown. Like we mentioned, I think Virginia tech out, out of any of the guys in the top 10 that are remaining, um, that have not committed. I think Naquan Brown is the best bet. And it, it seems that way. It seems like they've made the most headway in his recruitment. It seems like he's high enough on tech to have a, to have a legitimate chance of coming to Blacksburg. He's the guy who is most likely going to land in Blacksburg out of the guys I'm about to mention. Uh, Kelvin Gilliam is another guy. He's another defensive end, um, out of Highland Springs, Virginia. Definitely a he's bigger a, guy. A bigger guy for sure. Um, six three two fifty, whereas yeah. Naquan Brown six three two oh five. So he is a bigger defensive end. Virginia Tech uh, VT scoop. Uh, shout out to them. They tweeted out today that you know Virginia Tech has been talking to Calvin Gilliam almost every day. They're in really heavy on his recruitment right now. Um, so ideally, Virginia Tech would like to land, you know, a, a Naquan Brown, a Calvin Gilliam, and then go into Texas and land Landon Watson, the other defensive end. And all of a sudden you got like three or four, four star defensive linemen, which Virginia tech has struggled up front yeah, recruiting those types definitely. of guys outside of like Taiwan Garbutt recently. Um, Virginia tech, the last couple of years, they really haven't been able to, to land this level of talent up front. And they have a chance to nab a couple guys here. Um, Landon, if they're able to land Landon Watson out of Texas, I think that definitely increases their chances. With a guy like Kelvin Gilliam, I, I think Naquan Brown could certainly come to Blacksburg regardless of what Landon Watson does. But if you land Landon Watson, you land Naquan Brown, all of a sudden I think Kelvin Gilliam takes a look at Virginia Tech, and I think the Hokies become a lot more attractive from that standpoint. Yeah, and, and there are some other guys that I've read that they're in on, and um, it, it's so early at this point it's hard to – 
hard to figure out exactly who they have a great shot at. Um, but realistically, I mean, at, at, at this point, Tech doesn't have a single top 20 player in the state committed. And um, I don't know what their chances are of getting even four of those guys of the top 20. And it's just, it, 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 it's a trend. And it's a troubling trend. I don't know how to fix it. I think Daryl Tapp helps. I think he, first of all, Daryl Tapp's great on social media. This is something that, and 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 speaking of social media, Justin Fuente made a, a return to Twitter, uh, I guess, what, two days ago or a day ago? Engage. And, yeah, engage the fan base. Yeah, Justin, do that some more, man. Do, do it, do it some more. Engage, yep. engage the fan, ignore all the people like me, who who are criticizing you, because obviously as a head coach, you can't handle that. Uh, you, you you can't talk to those people because people like me are are, are not reasonable. <laughs> but but all these all these fans on Twitter, they desperately want to build that emotional connection with with the program. An easy way to do that is to be able to, you know, mess around with the coach on Twitter. So Justin, go on Twitter, have some fun, fool around a bit. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, but Daryl Tapp's great on Twitter. He's he 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 gets it. The, 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 being on social media, the, there's just this it factor you have to have in order to be really good at it. And Daryl's got it. So having Daryl, a guy who obviously a Virginia kid, went to Tech, stayed at home, played in the NFL, all that stuff. He's like the ideal model to sell to kids in in Virginia because he they would be following his path. Um, I don't know how quickly Daryl can, can get things turned around. I don't even know if he can get it turned around. We have to remember the guy has never coached before at all. So he's brand new to this, but, uh, tech has to get this figured out. They just have to, it's, it's hurting the program from a perception wise with the fan base. It's causing an insane amount of division amongst the fan base. I mean, I, I know Twitter isn't real life, but it's a part of real life. And Hokie's Twitter, man, that stuff is toxic. Hokie's yeah. Twitter is polarized, man. It, yep. it is it is all in or all out. There are very, very few that are vocal on Twitter. Let's let's make that clear. There are very few people on Twitter that are vocal that are down the middle. They're either staunch supporters of, of the coaching staff and and the administration and all that, and or they're staunch critics. Um, and I think part of the, the, the thing that's divided the fan base specifically on social media has been tech's inability to recruit in state. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's been a major issue and Virginia tech is, you know, they're, they're looking elsewhere out of state. They're looking at guys like Amari Huggins, Bruce, a receiver in, in South Carolina, and they're trying to supplement it that way. But until they start getting some traction in Virginia, it's really hard to evaluate, um, the consistency of recruiting classes moving forward, because yeah. to be fair, it's been all over the map recently. And a big reason why is because there's so much uncertainty in the state of Virginia and who you're going to get out of your own state, let alone other states around you or even casting a wider net out to Texas. Yeah. And I, I want to reiterate too, and make this clear. I'm not expecting tech to, to pull in half their class from Virginia. That's not realistic. Tech tech is a better program that they don't need to take kids from Virginia just because they're from Virginia. Tech needs to take the best players. But that being said, there's enough talent in the state of Virginia that Virginia Tech should be able to commit 
four or five of these guys that are impactful players, four or five guys in the top 20, maybe two or three in the top 10. Maybe you start winning more games and all of a sudden you get four or five of the, of the top 10. It's a, it's a process, but they're, they're starting from near zero right now in state. And that's, that's kind of scary. Yeah. That's, that's what I think fans need to worry about moving forward. It's not that they're not landing every in-state prospect. It's that, they're not landing like even one, two, three of the top 10 if guys they were, in the class. If, if they were recruiting in state at the level they recruited in 2017, when they had three of the top 10 and four of the top 20 and one and, and, and right outside, I don't think many people would be upset. Sure, a lot of people would want them to, to do better. And of course, that would be reasonable. But I don't think anybody would be upset with that effort. That would actually be a. It would be a whole hell of a lot better than what they're doing right now. Yeah, that 2017 class had a lot of really good players in it from Virginia. Like we mentioned, we mentioned Dylan Rivers and Garbutt and, of course, Devin Hunter highlighting the class. But then you talk about the state of North Carolina in that class, too, and Hendon Hooker and Dax Hollyfield. And, like, there were some really good players in was that 18, class. But yeah, or Hollyfield was 18, that, but yeah. Hollyfield was 18. That period of time, yeah, I got you. But you're pulling from, but, but to go back, um, even in 2018, like Virginia Tech, like recruited well in 2017 in Virginia and they started pulling guys out of North Carolina. It allowed them to pull in a guy like Hollyfield in 2018. All of a yeah. sudden Virginia tech is recruiting their state. Well, a neighboring state. Well, they hadn't been in Texas yet, but this is what I'm talking about. Like if Virginia tech's able to get back to that level, like you mentioned, Ricky, pull some of the top five or 10 guys out of the state of Virginia. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not telling them to pull five, 10, 15 guys. I have people yeah. in my mentions, talking about virginia tech in their heyday in the in the 2000s and they're pulling it's everybody out not, virginia. not not feasible it's not feasible and it's just not like that anymore the recruiting landscape has changed completely right yeah like, the state of virginia is so different now um and, and that's not to say that virginia tech hasn't had their their trials and tribulations like we mentioned some of it's on virginia tech but some of it is other schools just evolving with the times you know, there's social media, there's, you know, you can get, you can get on a zoom call, like you can get yeah. a virtual tour of campus. Like you don't, it, all of a sudden those States far away, like Justin Fuente mentioned, they are all of a sudden just a little bit closer than they used to be. All of a sudden you could talk to somebody across the world. You could talk to somebody like Wolford Penne, right? The tight end who ended up yeah, from Canada, uh, coming to the United <laughs> States. From, yeah. But like you, you can talk to these guys from all over the place and bring them in and, close the loop on recruiting a little bit if you're not doing well in Virginia. So I think bottom line is the Hokies are making headway in other states. That's really good. They're doing that. Now, all of a sudden, we need to just take a look at this 2021 class, like we mentioned, and see how many of these guys Virginia Tech can pull in. If it's even a Naquan Brown and and maybe just like Jalen Stroman or a couple of three stars, all of a sudden you're like, okay, we got, you know, three or four of the top 25 recruits in the state of Virginia. Then you feel a little bit better about that when you consider what they're pulling out of Texas, right? Oh, yeah. Demetrius Davis and Latrell Neville. And if you land Landon Watson, that's another four-star in your back pocket. All of a sudden, you start to feel a little bit better about things moving forward. So I think that's where Virginia Tech needs to be headed. I think they're making good progress out of state in Texas. I think that's very good. I think they need to continue to do that. If they land Landon Watson, that's huge. That would be three four-star recruits and maybe even a five-star recruit if Demetrius Davis gets a ratings bump, which a lot of people are have kind of alluded to. You're going to have three elite players or at least three very good players out of Texas. You supplement that with a couple of the top 10 or 15 guys in the state of Virginia, and all of a sudden you're cooking with gas here. Yeah, and the the... the... The thing I want to stress is this can change. Tex, quickly. 
Tech, yes, Tech's standing in Virginia can change. Tech's standing in the overall recruiting landscape can change. Tech can be kind of that 20 to 27 national ranking in recruiting. Tech can land three or four of the top 15 in the state of Virginia. But right now, they're not doing it. I understand that Tech is 21st in the country right now, but we all know that the rankings can can change like that. It's early. It's yeah, early. It's way early. So they it, there's going to be a lot of fluctuation. Tech could easily drop 10 spots. Tech could easily move up a couple spots, depending on how things go. Um, so it's it, it's important to accept where Tech is right now, which is middle of the road right now overall. Uh, I, I think most people would be happy with a, a top 25 recruiting class. Right now, I think they're 21st last time I checked. Um, but it, it's okay to be upset with the Virginia recruiting and accept that they're also doing better out of state. Two things can be true at once. Virginia Tech hasn't had a top 20 class in a long time. If they start, na- if they are able to land Landon Watson, Naquan Brown, who knows what else they're able to get in state, like best case scenario for Virginia Tech, they're, they're probably we're talking like all these top guys that they're looking at hit. We're talking a top 20 class, right? In that 15 to 20 range. What better year to do that than 2021 after finishing 72nd in the 24 seven composite a year ago. Uh, What better year to jump into the top 20 for the first time in a really long time. And and to your point, Ricky, it can, it can change quickly. It can move both directions. Um, Recruiting is very fickle. You could have, I mean, just as easily as you can pull in some of these top guys, you can have some guys decommit as well. You just never know. We're so early. And the NCAA is even talking about potentially doing away with the early signing period this year due to COVID virus. So keep an eye on that. That's been talked about. And if that's the case, you got to wait till next February. That's 10 months from now to really sign your class. And if that ends up being the case, who knows what happens between now and next February. There's a whole football season, hopefully. Uh, should be played. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot that can happen. So just the early returns out of state are promising. There's still some work to do in state. Yeah, there's a lot of work to do in state. And we'll have to see how Virginia Tech handles that with not being able to go visit these kids in person and and handling the dead period. I mean, it's it, it's it's a different situation, but the the field is level everyone's dealing with this. It's not like the dead period's in effect for some schools and not in effect for others. Yep. So tech, tech is fighting the same obstacles that everyone else is right now. For sure. Well, Ricky, we still haven't done the Q&A, so that's coming. We want to talk about you know what other sports that this COVID period and, and what's been happening here has, has affected the other spring sports. We want to get into Whit Babcock and his discussion about the revenue impacts yeah, um, and it all it all kind of ties together. It does. It does. So we want to get into all of that, and we will do that uh, next week on this podcast. We know we owe you guys a Q&A that we talked about a couple weeks ago, but a lot of stuff's been happening recently. It's been, the last two first. weeks have been kind of nuts. Like it, There's just Has. been a lot of stuff going on, but there there will be talk of other sports next week, and, and we'll, we're going to kind of tie it all together and how all these sports are impacted and, and how, how even football may be impacted with talks of coaches having to to take salary cuts and having to to furlough or let go of administrative staff i mean there's there's a lot that 
college administrators are dealing with right now that only some people are talking about. Yep, so we'll tackle all of that next time here on Hokie Hangover. Um, we should have Andrew back as Hopefully. long as <laughs> no crazy storms go rolling through Blacksburg. Yeah, uh, we should have Andrew back, so we'll get to all of that on the next episode of Hokie Hangover. But until next time, for Ricky LeBlue and for Andrew Alex, who's not with us here tonight, I'm Mike McDaniel. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.